Don't you love stories of life change? Amen? What an incredible story of a life change by Jesus Christ. You know, whenever I hear a story like that, I have to just ask the question, what happened? What happened in a person's life that changed their entire outlook? Whenever you hear that story and everything, the whole trajectory of life was changed. And that's the story of David Ring. And, you know, what changed the way that he even viewed hardships in his life? When you see the hardships that this, this man has suffered in his life, battling with cerebral palsy from day one, you know, people gave up on him on his very first day of life, right? Uh, being called every name in the book, being made fun of, suffering from the meanness of just other people, you know, just, just those struggles. I mean, what happens in a person's life like that? There was a critical moment. You heard him say it. There was a critical moment where he came to a place of realizing the most important truth, and that is the truth of this. And I hope that every one of you, you hear this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, that you hear this, that you were created by God and you were created for God. And that God is deeply deeply in love with you. Now, I know some of us, we've heard that God loves us. We've, maybe you've heard that your entire life. And, I, and, and maybe for some of us, you've never been able to really take that in. You've never believed that. We're in this passage in Colossians chapter one, and I want to invite you to turn there with me. And I want to just, I want to just reiterate this passage that Danny read just a few minutes ago. It's in verse 16. Look at this with me. Here's what it says. It says, everything was created. In fact, will you read it with me out loud? Everything was created through him, and for him. You see, until you discover that you are created by God and that you are also made for God, that you're not an accident, you're not a fluke, you're not just some, you know, just thing that happened just by happenstance, but that God actually loves you, he made you, he created you with a sense of purpose. You may say, well, man, I've never felt like God really loves me. I've never felt like I could measure up. Maybe there's never been a, a time where you've actually believed on Christ as your Savior because you never thought that God could love someone like you. You say, Barton, you don't know the things that I've done in my past. And so you, you feel like you're carrying baggage or maybe you're carrying a lot of shame. Maybe it's some of the things that you're battling with right now in your life and you carry guilt every single day of your life. Maybe you're, you have some brokenness in your life because there's some addictions that you're hiding or that you're battling with and you're struggling with and you just think, I've never been good enough. I can never seem to feel like God would love me. And see, that is a lie from the enemy that would say that God doesn't love you. What I'm praying, this is the simplest thing that I could ever say to you, but it is the most profound and life-changing thing. If you will take this in, is that God loves you that he really loves you, that he really has a plan for you and for your life. And, and maybe some of us, you, you've uh, been a believer for some time. You've been a Christian for some time and maybe you've even heard that your entire life. Maybe, maybe you just, you've kind of forgotten that. Isn't it easy how we can get used to the love of God? To where maybe it's been some time since you've even been moved by the fact that the God of the universe who made everything that he actually loves you. And so my prayer for all of us today is that whether you're not a believer today, that today something would happen inside of you that you would recognize that God made you, that he loves you, and that he has an incredible plan for your life. Even in the midst of the hardships that you're dealing with, God can use those things in your life, just like he did with David Ring. And maybe if you are a believer, maybe today this very idea of God's love, the supreme God loving you, would awaken you. 
that it would, it would bring about a revival in your own personal spirit, that you would recognize this truth and it would even change the way that you carry yourself. I'm praying that this would motivate you and encourage you today. So I love hearing stories of how people's lives change. And I want to start with this story or, or with this question. Here's the question. What is your story? What's your story? Now notice, and what I'm talking about is in regard to what you have believed about Jesus Christ. Because you see, as we're in this book of Colossians, what we're going to discover is that, is that Jesus is the pivotal, is the pivotal figure in this book of Colossians, really in the entirety of the Bible. But in Colossians, what Paul is saying is that Christ is supreme. And so what you believe about Jesus is going to set the trajectory of the entirety of your life, as well as the as, as the entirety of your eternity. What, what is your story? Now, I'm not asking you what has been your grandma's story whenever it comes to Jesus. I'm not asking you, tell me about your denomination that you grew up in, maybe if you grew up in church. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking what's your story about how maybe you've been a good person for really, really a, a long time, and I bet you really are. But the question is, is if someone were to kind of pin you down and say, tell me about the time that you trusted Jesus Christ in your life and what difference has it made in your life? What's your story? What would you say about that? I want you to be kind of thinking about this. Again, I love stories. I love hearing the stories of how people's lives were chained and, uh, changed. And I love hearing David Ring's story. But there's another person that I want to talk about, just a story of their life change. And his name was Saul. And many of you know his story. And, and Saul is the author of this book of Colossians that we're in, in this series called Greater Than Everything. But it's important that many of you know his story, but I want to remind you of his story because as, you, as you're reminded of what happened in Saul's life and how God literally just transformed his life, and as you're thinking about what your story is, it goes in context of the passage that we're going to read going forward here in this book of Colossians. If you, if you recall the story of, of Saul who would become Paul, what we know about him is this, all right? After Jesus Christ was crucified and he was buried and he was raised from the dead, he went to his disciples who were terrified and were cowering in fear. They were hidden away. But then as Jesus was, revealed himself to them, they were emboldened by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now they are going about telling everybody that they can about how their life has been changed because of Jesus. They're going around sharing that story all over the place. Now, there was a young man who was named Saul who was on the fast track to becoming perhaps the, 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 the high priest in, uh, in Jerusalem and uh, among the Pharisees. He was an up-and-comer. He was all about, his life mission was about destroying what was called the way or the way of Jesus Christ. His whole ambition, his whole, whole aspiration was to get to the top for himself. Saul was all about Saul. In fact, he was very religious. Saul had most likely had wealth. He was educated by one of the best educators in that time. He was, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was also a Roman citizen. Here's what I'm saying. Saul had everything going for him, but there was something that was so just greatly missing in his life. It was peace. In fact, look at Acts chapter nine, verse one. It'll just come up on the screen. We're gonna be in Colossians. But here's what it says. He had no life. He was religious, but with no life change. And I want you to think about that. You see, you can be religious and have grown up in religion, but your life hasn't been transformed. Am I, am I talking to the right people today, right? 
I mean, we see that happen all the time. And look, look at Saul. He was super religious. Saul was uttering threats with every breath. This guy had no peace in his life. His whole ambition was hurting other people. He was uttering threats with every breath. It says this, that he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. His whole rise on the way to the top was was made by hating and hurting others. And then while he was on the road to Damascus, he was on a mission to carry out another mission of hate. He was going there to see to it that Christians who were in that area of Damascus were gonna be put in prison and many of them would even be martyred for their faith. And, and he had an encounter with Jesus Christ that literally transformed his life. Jesus literally, as he encounters Jesus, it knocks him to the ground. And, and literally, he's even physically blinded for a moment. And he has this encounter with Jesus that transforms his life. And going from being one who is hating to now one where God has done an incredible work that we'll kind of look at in his life today. And you say, well, why are you giving us so much background on Paul? Because here's the deal. By the way, his name was changed to Paul. Because when you begin to understand what Paul, what happened in Paul's life, what Jesus did in Paul's life, how he moved him from being religious to actually being in a relationship with God, and you see a dramatic life change as you're thinking about what's happened in my life. How has my life changed? How am I different from others that I work with or that don't know the Lord? How am I different from others that I go to school with that don't know the Lord? Has my life been changed? And so what we begin to discover as we look at Paul, we see that he's going to write about all these different things that he's experiencing. Paul is literally now suffering because of his faith that he has in Jesus Christ. He's placed his faith in Jesus, not in the religion that he had at that point. And I want you to see something. In the midst of all of his suffering, what you're going to discover and see about Paul is that he doesn't get bitter. That bitterness that he had in his life has been removed by the Lord. Now he has a peace in his life. That anger that he was carrying, right, that, that where he was hating on people, he was uttering threats. I mean, all the time he's looking for a fight. This is who this guy was. Now that has dissipated out of his life. And now, even though he's suffering for Jesus, he's still at peace. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't the whole, just the whole idea of the New Testament would have been changed if Paul would have been bitter, right? But we see that he's not bitter. We see that there's something that God has done in his life. What has happened? Well, he met Jesus. He met Jesus just like David Ring met Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Have you encountered Jesus? When you encounter Jesus, there is a life change that happens. So Paul is writing to this church that a guy named Epaphras started. Paul had been pouring into Epaphras' life. And Paul writes to these believers who were struggling with their faith. And they were struggling with the pressures of the Roman culture. They were having a hard time not blending in, looking like just everyone else, those that didn't know the Lord. And the pressures of this culture. And and the question that Paul was going to raise to them is would Jesus be supreme in their life? So he's really focusing in the first chapter on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater, right? Would Jesus be supreme in their life or would the Roman culture be supreme in their life? Would would they place their faith in Jesus or would they trust in their culture to bring them peace, to bring them meaning, to bring them a sense of value? And so he encourages them, what we're gonna see, he encourages them to begin to follow the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus, to not begin to drift and to begin to blend in again with this Roman culture that Christ had called them out of. What he's gonna call them to is something that is called discipleship. And what discipleship means is that you're beginning to grow in your faith. You've come to a moment where you have trusted Christ as your savior, and now 
you're choosing to follow Jesus instead of the culture and what the culture says you should be like. And so now we're going to see that Jesus is now supreme in Paul's life. And and he's going to call these Colossian believers to discipleship, to where they would begin to look more and more like Jesus. And so if you're taking some notes, here's a key thought for you to write down. Here's the thought. Discipleship with Jesus, and what that means is that you're growing in the Lord, you're following the Lord. Discipleship with Jesus is an invitation to descend, to descend. Now remember that Christ is supreme. Remember that Jesus, who is supreme, the the visible image of the invisible God, he is God himself. He descended to us, correct? That's what Philippians talks about. It's what Colossians talks about. It's what Danny was speaking about here just a few moments ago. And, And we, as Christ followers, are called to be like who? Jesus. We're called to look like him. We're called to act like him. And so the first 20 verses of this chapter, verse one, or chapter one, is all about the, G- the deity of Jesus and that he's not just another man, but that he actually is God himself. And yet God himself chose to descend. He chose to humble himself. This is so radical. And what Paul is saying is that calls for radical commitment. It calls for It calls for discipleship. It calls for fellowship. Jesus is supreme over all. And yet here is the thing that is so mysterious. Yet he doesn't force himself upon us. He's supreme over all, but he won't won't make you follow him. He He won't force himself upon you. He gives you this opportunity. And so every believer comes to this crossroads in their life of whether they're gonna live with the culture as supreme in their life or whether Christ is going to be supreme in their life. And, 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 and so this is what Paul is really getting at. There's this crossroads where you have to make a decision to begin to follow Christ. Are you gonna follow him in discipleship, okay? Or does your life begin to look like the world that God has called you out of, do you begin to blend in? And so this is something that's so powerful and it's so fascinating about Paul whenever you begin to understand this and the direction of this book, because here is what we love and here's what the Roman culture is all about. They are about what we would call upward mobility. They are about what we would call upward mobility where the Roman way, all right, the Roman way was all about pursuing status. It was all about self-gratification. It was all about about not suffering in any kind of way. It's having what you wanted at that very moment. It was all about indulging oneself as much as you possibly could. It was all about self-glory. It was all about what we would just say. It was all about self. That was the the way that they would live. And in fact, philosophers would ask this question and they would debate this question. How does one live the superior life? How does one live a life that is better than all others? And they even had a a phrase that they used to describe their culture. Here's what it was called. It was called via Romana. And via Romana literally means this. That word via, it literally means the way of, the pathway of, the road of the Roman. How does the Roman live? How does the Roman, and it is all about, you need to know, it's all about ascending. It's all about getting to the top. It's all about self and self-glory and self-gratification. They had, and, and, and by the way, the way that you live regarding that, it, it dictated your decisions. 
It dictated how you felt about yourself and your place in society. There was a hierarchical system that they even had in place, which was called the cursus honorum. And that literally means the course of honor. In other other words, you were trying to get to the top. You're aspiring to get ahead of everybody else. You had this hierarchy that was very common. If you were to flip kind of those words slave and freedman and put slave at the very bottom, that is where a majority of much of the Roman Empire was at. They were slaves, and then there were freedmen, and then there were citizens of Rome. That's what Paul was. There was the equestrian, the decurion, and the senator, and then even above that, you had the Caesar. And it was all about how do I get ahead? And I'm gonna get ahead, and it doesn't matter how I get ahead, whatever I have to do to, to elevate my status, to get myself ahead. And everywhere, all over the Roman Empire, they were saturated with this way of thought. Now here, we wouldn't call it the Via Romana, we would call it the Via Americana, right? And that's kind of, I mean, and I look at this, when I was studying this, I was thinking, well, this is this really, I don't know that it's so much just Roman culture, I almost just think it's human nature. Are you with me, right? where it's all about me ascending, me, uh, me being at the center of my life. And, and instead of w- where what we would say, it's about climbing the cultural ladder, climbing the corporate ladder. Doesn't matter who I push off to get to the top. It's dog eat dog, every man for himself. Instead of Christ is supreme, we live with this mentality that self is supreme. And this is what Paul is getting at. He's getting with this, he is taking jabs at the Romana way of living as he's writing this. Now you need to know that this is what Paul was all about. He was all about upward mobility himself. He was all about this. He was a Jew of Jews. He would call himself this. He was at the top in the pecking order in the Hebrew society. And he also was a Roman citizen. You say, why is that such a big deal? Because you see, he was in the top 25% as a Roman citizen because 80% were freedmen and slaves. He's making his way up, and by worldly standards, Paul had everything going for him, and yet he really had nothing. He certainly didn't have any peace. He was living the Via Romana. We would call it Via Americana. There was something, uh, an article that I came across that I thought was just really interesting. An interview with Rolling Stone magazine, Brad Pitt shared very honestly his thoughts about what he would call and what we know as the American dream. Listen to his honesty about this. Listen to what this guy who we would look at and we would say, he kind of has everything. He has money, fame. You know, I've heard he has looks. You know, those kinds of things, okay? Um, He has everything, right? But listen to what he says. He says, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, that's what he's saying, I say toss all this, we gotta find something else. I know what that may be, okay? I just want to tell him. He said, we got to find something else because all I know is that at this point in time, we are heading for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of spiritual being. And then he says this, and I don't want that. Rolling Stone, the interviewer, asks him this. So if we're heading towards this kind of existential dead end in society, what do you think should happen? And here's his response. 
He said, I don't have the answers to that yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. And then the article says that he smiles as he says this. And he says, I'm sitting in it and I'm telling you, that's not it. Wow. Man, that's incredible to hear a guy say that. He says, I'm the guy who's got everything. I know that. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, listen to his last words here. All you're really left with is yourself. Self. Self is supreme is what he's saying, right? So Paul, what happened in Paul's life? What happened in David Ring's life? And I'll just say, something happened in my life as well. And I'm just here to tell you that it's something that's real. Whenever you encounter Jesus, something real changes our lives. And it changed Paul's life. It changed his ambitions. It changed his whole outlook on the way that he viewed even the trouble that was in his life. And what Paul would reiterate was some things that Jesus had already said. Instead of the Via Romana, what Paul would call them to would be the Via Crucis. And what that means is the way of the cross. And whenever you begin to understand this, this this passage starts to really come to life. Some of the things that Jesus would say really start to come to life. The way of the cross. Paul's calling these believers in Colossae to trade the way of Rome in for the way of the cross. To trade the ascent that we're all going to, or that we're all aspiring to, to begin to look more like Jesus and to begin to descend in the sense that He who was in this great place descended in, as scripture says, made himself nothing. There was a humility in that. So every time Paul would write a letter to churches, most often he would mention this. He would call himself a servant of Jesus Christ. In Romans, he calls himself, and that's the word diakonos. In Romans, he calls himself a doulos, which means this, a slave of Jesus Christ. Remember beforehand, he's all about ascending. He's all about getting to the top. And now in this radical way of saying this, they got this whenever he said this. He says, now he will say, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. My life has been changed. I'm not about just trying to get to the top for my own glory, for my own sake. Now my life is about God's glory. Now my life and the position that God has put me in is about, about him receiving glory. And so this was radical. He's, he's, he's heading the other way. So look with me in verse 23 in Colossians. He says, but you, you believer, must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it, he says. Now look at what he says. Don't drift away. Boy, that is... That just speaks to all of us, I know, because don't we all have a tendency to kind of just start drifting a little bit? You know, if you're not intentional with your faith, you drift. If you're not disciplined in your faith and you're not intentionally making sure that you're growing in the Lord, we all kind of drift. But Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't drift. Don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. This good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's, everyone say it with me, what does he say? I'm his servant. Where I was aspiring to get to the top, now I am perfectly contented to be a servant of Jesus Christ. 
I'm contented. Even as, as I was all about via Romana, now I'm living via Crucis. I've, I've embraced the way of the cross, right? The way of the disciple is the way of descent. And some, some of us, as we, as we hear some of the peculiar things that Jesus would say, sometimes maybe for some of us it doesn't quite make sense. Jesus would say things like, what, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He who exalts himself, he said, what? Would be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You want to go high, you go low. What he's saying, everything Jesus would say about this is so contradictory to that culture as well as to our culture. Where Jesus, in spite of all of his supremacy, and that's really the view of it here, in spite of all of his position and all of his supremacy, Jesus is all about what? Humility. He's all about humility. He's all about self-sacrifice. He's all about loving others. He's all about serving others. It's not self is supreme. It's, it's, it's Christ is supreme. And what Jesus would say this, Mark chapter eight, he would say something like this. And this, see, this really just opens us up for us. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said this. If any of you wants to be my, what does it say? Follower. You want to be my disciple. You want to be my follower you must give up your own way. Give up via Americana. Take up your cross and do what? Follow me. You take up your cross is what he's saying, right? It's via crucis. You, you, you're trading that in for a new way of living. You're, and, and you may think, well, man, I just, I don't want to do this. He goes on, he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? Listen to what he says, but you forfeit or you lose your own soul. What he's saying is this, right? If you're taking some notes, that the way of the cross, when you embrace the way of the cross, it moves us from self is supreme to where Christ is supreme. It moves us from the place of where self where self is the center of our world and our universe, to the way that you live your life is that Christ is supreme over all of your life. He's supreme over your decisions. He's supreme over your relationships. He's supreme over your job. He's supreme over your aspirations. That doesn't mean that you don't strive to be the very best at everything that you do. You do strive your best at everything that you do because as God blesses you in those things, who gets the glory? He does. He gets the glory for even the broken things that are in our life. And, and, and so Paul would go on, all right? He would go on in verse 24. And so now he would begin to say some very strange things. He would say this, I am glad when I suffer. What are you talking about right there? I'm glad when I suffer. Remember, this was so antithetical to the Via Romana. I'm glad when I suffer. Now, he's not trying to be some weirdo here. There's just something that happened in his heart. There's something that changed his outlook on life. Something began to transform the way that he viewed his hardships and his problems. Something began to change. And so here's what we see. I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ. Don't forget, Christ suffered for us. By the way, on the way to the cross, Christ carried his cross down what was called the Via Dolorosa. You know what that means? The way of suffering. And so he's... He goes to the cross. When I embrace the cross, here's some practical takeaways for you in these next couple minutes, okay, before we wrap up. When you begin to embrace the way of the cross, what Paul is going to say is this, here's what it does. It impacts my view of suffering and hardship. 
It begins to impact the way that I see my problems. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going around hopping and skipping whenever maybe you find out that you've got a bad diagnosis, all right? Woohoo, I'm really excited about this. That's not what he's saying. It doesn't mean that you're super excited about the fact that you've experienced some loss. Maybe you've experienced some, 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 some grief in your life. You've lost a love. That's not what he's saying. It's just that there's something that has anchored your soul now. You're not going around saying, praise God, I got cancer, right? Praise God, I lost my job. I mean, that's just, honestly, let's face it, that's, that's just a little bit weird, okay? But instead, there's something that is anchoring your soul and there's a peace that is in the midst of your life that is drastically different because there's somebody that lives inside of you now. Time's not up. I'm just saying, all right? I heard that go off. <laughs> it impacts my view of suffering and hardship. Think with me on how Paul's outlook changed, right? His whole outlook changed. Now he's so, I don't, I don't even have time to go into all of the suffering that Paul went through. Check that out for yourself. But think of David Ring, because you just saw his story. How his whole outlook changed. When I embrace the way of the cross, when Christ dwells inside of me and I begin to live my life with Christ as the center of my life, the way of the cross impacts our view of suffering. By the way, isn't it interesting how sometimes our greatest area of hurt and pain, have you noticed this? Sometimes God takes that and makes our greatest area of influence and ministry for others. Now, we have a perfect example of that right here in our own church. I've seen so many of you do that, and I've seen God use just things that have, heart, that have been just heartbreaking in your life. But as I thought of this this week, I couldn't help but think of my friends, Bruce and Debbie, here right up here. Bruce is, is an elder in our church. Debbie leads in so many different ways. But, but I think it was probably maybe six years ago, five years ago, their son Gabe committed suicide, the most devastating news any parent could ever receive. And do they still grieve today? Yes. Do they still hurt today? Absolutely. But they are determined to not waste that pain. And Christ is the anchor of their soul. And out of that has been born one of the ministries that I believe is going to impact thousands upon thousands of people in our community and in our city. And it's called the Hope Ministry. And it's a ministry that is about mental health and mental wellness. And I just praise God for that. And that's an example of that. Some of you have examples of that. It impacts the way that we view our hardship. It doesn't mean we're exempt from hardship. If you hear a preacher say that if you give your life to Jesus, that all of your problems will go away, you need to find a different preacher. You need to go to a different church. Because when I look at the life of Jesus and when I look at the life of Paul and I look at all of the other, the, all the other disciples and what you're going to see is that many of them went through devastating hardship. But there was something that they had in their life which was a peace and God wants you to have that. God offers that to you. That's life transformation. Here's the other thing. Whenever I embrace the way of the cross... It is going to change and impact the way that I view serving other people. You see, because life isn't just going to be only about me now. It's not all about me. Verse 25, Paul writes, God has given me the responsibility of serving. There's that big word again. Serving his church. Paul went from hating and hurting these people 
to now feeling a great responsibility to serving and loving them. You see, whenever you, whenever you, Christ resides within your heart, he begins to change our aspirations. Now he begins to change the way we feel about others. He begins to transform this. But this takes humility to serve others. What he's saying is self isn't supreme. Christ is supreme. Jesus is greater than self. He would write in Philippians, another great book, he would write these words, and just let this just really challenge you today. He would write, don't be, what does it say next? Don't live the Via Romana. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. That's Via Romana. You're trying to, your image is everything. Look at what he says. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests. Well, that's just right about our culture, isn't it? But take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then if you keep reading, what you'll discover is it talks about Christ gave up his divine privileges and he humbled himself and he made himself nothing. He went low for us so that we could go high with him. And he says, have the same attitude as Jesus, believer. I got to thinking this week, and I'll close with this, okay? But I got to thinking this week. What would it look like in our families if every one of us that was here today who's a follower of Jesus said, I am going to embrace the way of the cross? I'm going to set aside Via Americana this week. Now, now hear me out. This doesn't mean you can't be a leader. This doesn't mean you can't be a CEO. If you're a CEO, here's what that does. It just changes the way that you look at people. You realize that the position that you've been given is not about you. The position that you've been given is all about God and it's all about his glory and he wants you to utilize that for his glory. But what would it look like in our families? What would it look like in our marriages? What would it look like in our places of employment if every believer decided to embrace the way of the cross? Now I'm gonna tell you something, you might suffer because of it. You might suffer, Paul did, others did. But what would it look like? I started thinking, we'll have somewhere today maybe around 1,000 to 1,200 people in service, maybe more, I don't know. But I started thinking, what if this week every one of us said at least one time this week, I'm setting Via Americana aside and I'm going to serve somebody that needs help this week. I'm gonna love somebody that maybe nobody else loves. What if, kids, you're in here, you're going to school tomorrow. Don't throw things at me, okay, but you are. But what if when you went to school tomorrow, it wasn't all about you? What if you went tomorrow with eyes open for maybe someone that, that, that you realized God put them in your path so that you could be a blessing and you could serve them or you could love them or you could speak a kind word to them, <laughs> right? What would happen? What if that would be over a thousand? I'm not a mathematician, but I'm fairly certain that'd be a thousand acts of kindness just this week. Let me ask you something. If we really committed as a church to that, do you think that that could have an impact on Saginaw? What if we decided to do it every single day? Over a thousand of us. Again, not a mathematician, but I'm thinking that's 7,000 acts of kindness this week. Do you see how that translates into something that's real? If you say, Lord, I want to embrace as a follower of yours the descent and the humility, what did he say? If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. And it's all about Jesus.
You say, well, I don't, I don't know. What's the secret to that? I don't, I, well, if you keep reading, I don't have time to do this, but if you keep reading, you'll see that he says the secret is this. Christ lives in you. Keep reading it. Keep reading that chapter. Christ, who is supreme over all, has chosen to make his dwelling place inside of you. So when you go to school tomorrow, you're taking Jesus with you. When you go to work tomorrow, you're taking Jesus with you. We need more Jesus in our schools and in our workplaces. You know how he wants to manifest himself? Through you. Through you. I want to just have a word of prayer with you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, that you made yourself, you who are supreme, you made yourself nothing for our sakes so that we could come into relationship with you. Lord, would you use maybe some acts of service and kindness and goodness in your people this week as we, instead of going high and maybe pushing others out of our way, we instead choose to be humble and we go low for your sake. And Lord, maybe just through that, you would also bring some other people into a relationship with you. So Father, would you empower your people? If, and I just want to say this. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, what's your story? He wants to give you a story today. And it comes by grace through faith in Jesus you've never trusted Jesus right there where you're seated you can call on him to be your savior and he wants to be supreme in all of your life Lord thank you for the peace that you give us in hardship thank you that you don't waste anything in our life Lord we want to see life change happen at EBC we want to see lives change just like David Ring told his story of life change. We want others to hear our stories, God, so that you would be glorified and lifted up. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Listen, I just want to invite you to stand and let's just sing to our Lord Jesus, who is supreme over all of our lives.